When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. I tell you what. I'm actually excited to get back to a schedule that has some damn fights on it. Yeah, you know, me too. I was just going to say, even though we do have some fights this weekend, it feels like we're in like kind of an on-ramp period. Like we're we're warming up to uh, the eventual storm that will come, starting with the uh, heavyweight title fight here later this this month. But this weekend with the UFC fight night, it feels like we're just, it's like we're having an appetizer, I guess, or like we're we're jogging a warm-up lap. Yeah. Before the actual race begins. And rightly so, because you jump right in to something like a Franny and Ganu title fight. Yeah, you don't want to go a little that. bit of a warm up. You don't want to go into that cold. You want a nice sweat going by the time yeah. you get to that. You'll pull yeah. a hammy. Pull a hammy first thing. You'll blow out a hamstring for sure. There's just you, you can't take it. It's like, you know, how you gotta get addicted to opioid pills before you go to heroin, Chad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You gotta work up to it. You yeah. don't want to overdose. I feel like you're 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 thinking my example is a little darker than yours. I'm just it's I it's the flare. first. How about this? Before you do full on pornography, first you do some tasteful nudes. Is that better? People are oftentimes, what's it like to do a podcast with Ben Folks? And I always say he has a beautiful mind. Uh huh. You don't want to just jump right into murder. Mm-hmm. You you start with a very very serious assault. Maybe some animals, then work your way up. Yeah, there you go. You strangle a kitten or two, and then you hunt the most dangerous game. Man. <laughs> wow. I feel like it's a perfect example. This is, this is an excellent start that we've got off to. You pulled and, me into uh, it. You pulled me down to your level. I look forward to the emails. Oh, yeah. From various law enforcement agencies asking for our DNA. Uh, if you're listening. They got it. They already got it. Don't don't kid yourself. If you're still listening at this point, this is the co-main <laughs> event podcast proper. Uh, don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty or like us over on Facebook at Facebook.com slash co-main event. 
This show drops every Monday for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you like what you hear on the show on Mondays, you absolutely need need to check out what's happening over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week. We got the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday doing the damn thing podcast, and then, of course, the Friday power hour. It uh, It's a fun time. The people seem to enjoy it. It's a good community of folks over there. Uh, get down with us every single week. We have a patronage tier for every budget. Check us out over there at patreon.com slash co-main event. Uh, this week's music comes to us from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, an amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer from Soul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at instagram.com slash fsbeats, fsbbeats or at youtube.com slash c slash funk soul brother beats and as you guys know just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the names of the musical acts we feature we should note that the word soul in funk soul brother is spelled s-e-o-u-l you see what he did there yeah and i appreciate it three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one Giga Chikadze takes on Calvin Cater this weekend in a fight that could solidify his contender status at featherweight. Did the stakes get higher when Max Holloway pulled out a UFC 272? And in round number two, with the strap on the line in a couple weeks, heavyweight bookings abound. We'll talk Black Beast tied to Ivasa, Biggie Boy, and yes, even Ryan Bader. And in round number three, Sean O'Malley says most fighters, most fighters ain't making money for the UFC. But strictly speaking, is that even true anymore? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we all always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us from Chili Willie Reverend Gaskin. Okay. There's a lot going on there. He writes, does the unfortunate cancellation of Holloway versus Volkanovsky three increase the chances of adding another fight to that card? Parentheses UFC 7272 Diaz versus Dustin Poirier Colby versus George or the recently verbally agreed to Burns versus Chimaev. Now, Ben, coming up in round number one, we will obviously talk a little bit about uh, Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater, who are having themselves a featherweight contender fight on Saturday night at that UFC fight night event and whether or not the winner of that could be a suitor to fill in for Max Holloway. But uh, this this question supposes that we could get a, another fight on there that that uh maybe we will add another big ticket attraction to the UFC 272 card uh to go along with the title fights over there. Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier is an interesting one. We talked about it a little bit, I believe on Friday during the power hour. Maybe it was the uh, live chat last Wednesday. As far as I know, the only thing we've heard about this fight fight is that basically Dustin Poirier has tweeted or has publicly said that he has agreed to it. Uh, and as I said last week, that could mean anything like Dustin, Dustin Poirier will agree to any fight at any time against anyone under any conditions. Like for all we know, Dustin Poirier, uh, pulled up to the, to the local grocery store with a case full of his hot sauce, which he was about to drop off. I assume he does the distribution himself. Yeah. And, uh, somebody pulled up next to him and was like, Hey Poirier, what do you think about fighting Nate Diaz? And Dustin Poirier just nodded and said, agree. 
yeah. agree. Let's so, do it. We're not sure. We're not sure what status or what state a potential fight between Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier could take at the moment. It feels like it's probably a long way from being a reality, if I had to guess. Yeah, and also, last I heard anyway, it didn't seem like we were totally sure what we were going to do about this featherweight title picture. And that I would not say it's completely off the table that Alexander Volkanovsky versus TBA is still on that fight card. Sure, but right? if you do that, even if you do that, do you need to add another attraction? I mean, if you still have a featherweight title fight and then you have the bantamweight title fight between Aldo Sterling and Peter Yan, I don't know if you do, necessarily. Like, you got that's a lot of gold on the poster, Chad, especially because we're led to believe Peter Yan might still be bringing his belt That that even after losing via disqualification. So, you know, that, it is a lot of... UFC championship gold to go flashing around out there. And that might be all that they ask for from themselves. I mean, if we're really loading up pay-per-views, especially after hiking the price and trying to convince people that's still worth the shell out for them, then maybe you do want to add one more, but I don't know. I think if you can, if you can still book a backup featherweight title fight, you might feel like that's sufficient. If you can't, that's when you start to get some, let's just have some fun with some notable names but also, the clock's kind of ticking on this. We're uh, we're a little less than two months out from this. We we should probably make up our minds pretty soon. And especially if you're trying to get some of these bigger name fighters to agree to something like that, they're going to want an actual training camp. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Uh, Colby versus uh, George Masvidal. I don't know. That seems like another one where we're going to spend a lot of time calling each other names on the internet. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily seem like a thing that is actually close to happening or or might happen or anything like that. Why not? Though? I mean, that oh, what it makes, else? It makes perfect have sense. It just it, it just doesn't necessarily seem like those guys are all that interested in actually doing the damn thing. Does I mean, it? it sounds like Masvidal is sure interested in it. And if you're Colby Covington, bro, what the fuck else do you have to do? What else do you think people would be interested in seeing you do at this point? You lost your you're 0-2 in those title fights to Kamara Usman. You're not getting that back anytime soon. Usman might be holding on to the belt for a little while. In the meantime, if you want to stay a, a, a person of note in the MMA sphere, a fight with Jorge Masvidal, a, a legit-ass grudge match with Jorge Masvidal is about the best you could hope for. And probably you'd have to consider it a fairly winnable fight for Colby Covington. Like, why wouldn't you go ahead and sign on the line that is dotted? Yeah. I mean, with Jorge Masvidal, you're into another Dustin Poirier situation where someone could just see him in traffic. And he could just, he wouldn't even have to ask Masvidal. He could just roll down his window and he would be like, I'll fight Colby, bro. And you could be like, cool, cool, man. Um... Anyway, I'm just on yeah. my way to... Uh, I was just going to let you know that your your blinker's on. Yeah. It's been, yes. it's been on for half a mile. Yeah, and you, you, got just, a, yeah. you got a brake light out, my guy, but uh, good to know about yeah. Colby Covington. Yeah, I'll pass along the word. So you're telling me that if you had to bet what happens here at UFC 272 is we get a replacement for Max Holloway and we stand pat. I think that that's a, a fairly good chance still right now. I, I, although it, it does depend... like. What does the UFC want to do? I saw Ariel Helwani saying he thought that the Korean zombie was the likely front runner. I could also totally see, as I'm sure we'll talk about in round number one here, if the UFC was like, well, let's see what happens after Saturday night. Let's get through uh, this weekend's fight night event, which just happens to have a, a sort of featherweight contender vibe going on. And uh, maybe Sunday morning, if somebody comes, if, if 
Giga Chikadze comes out of this thing, maybe nailed with a it. quick finish or something. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, if he, I mean, and it's Calvin Cater's not an easy dude to get a quick finish over. So, like, uh, we're already in some deep hypotheticals. But say he he goes out there, comes out unscathed, looks great, gets a very decisive win, and gets on the mic and is like, I hear there's an open spot. It's mine. Give it to me. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's not impossible to imagine. I agree with you. Let's not spoil too much around one here. Let's move on. Let's take this next question from Josh in Virginia, who writes, One FC Fighting Championship Championship, or whatever the hell they're called, have been promoting virtual replays of their events on the Oculus Quest VR rig. Man, on- I understood, like, Three words of that sentence. We're talking about virtual reality here, Ben, folks. Okay. On Saturday night, they premiered a, quote, best of 2021 show, so I gave it a shot. Basically, your avatar is standing on a theater balcony, but it feels like you're sitting on top of the cage for the fight. Camera changes are a little confusing, but otherwise it has to be the best seat in the house for any MMA event. One downside is any rando can wander into the room and interact with you. Shout out to the guy who was really curious about the length of my dick. (laughs) That's, you must be on the internet. But you can block people, so cheers to that. The entire time I watched it, I thought this is three. This is this in three D is the future of MMA. Who wouldn't want to see Franny Gan nuke the Ream from orbit on this thing? Any chance Uncle Dana slash ESPN tried something this forward thinking, or is it likely sequestered in the land of goofs and idiots? Uh now see this this virtual reality thing is is an interesting situation with sports i i just saw someone saying that they purchased a deal where you could they're basically watching a lakers game like courtside like they're doing a virtual reality thing where when you got your headset on and whatnot it feels like you're sitting there front row next to jack nicholson or whatever watching (laughs) watching the lakers play and like this this could be a, a a super interesting innovation in the field of sports and to be perfectly honest with you I had not considered how it might impact MMA until Josh from Virginia sent us this message and now I'm super curious about it like if you can create a interesting and enticing fan experience around this virtual reality stuff, which I assume will only get more and more common and more and more popular as we move forward. Uh, that seems like an incredible opportunity to offer a different MMA product. And frankly, something you could probably monetize a little bit more, uh, heavily than what you're already doing. If you're ESPN and the UFC and Endeavor and everybody else. So I will be very interested to see where all this goes. Obviously, I think right now we are in the infant stage of all this stuff, but if you can create a real feeling and, uh, accessible fan experience in virtual reality, that makes you feel like you are at the fights in some way, that's, that would be very cool because there's almost nothing like being at the fights to be perfectly frank. Yeah. And Here's an added thought. Wouldn't would that potentially be a cure for piracy hmm. that the UFC has not been able to get its arms around, despite many, many attempts, many claims to be cracking down on illegal pay-per-view streams and doing a bunch there, the UFC has not been able to even slow it down. Yeah. And if you could offer something like this, granted. I am not a technological whiz. I don't understand anything about it, in fact. But it seems like that might be 
a hard experience to pirate. It's not as simple as just getting a link from somebody on Reddit. I, I could see how maybe, and maybe it's a little easier to keep track of who is actually doing it. And so if you could offer that, that would actually be like a value add where you could say, here's a reason why you shouldn't just illegally stream our events. Because right now, I don't know if the UFC has a good reason why. It could say, this is more reliable. You don't have to worry about the stream cutting out. But from everything you hear from the people who are deep in that that buccaneer lifestyle, they don't worry about it right now. They got enough backup streams. They're doing just fine with it. Nobody there seems to be too concerned about it. If you could offer something like this and say, here's why you should pay the extra for a UFC pay-per-view instead of just watching it for free, then you might really have something. Um, It does seem like for maybe a few different reasons, I could see why the UFC would not be the earliest adopter of this stuff. Um, But I would, if, if one championship is getting somewhere with it and making it work, I could see the UFC keeping an eye on that and thinking about how they're supposed to do it. And also, didn't we just read in some story recently about how uh, one of the UFC executives saying that Ari Emanuel is always beating on them to get more into the metaverse? Yeah. This is the metaverse, right? Isn't that what that shit is? Um, You need to ask a person much younger than myself that okay. question. I think, I think some shit like this is at least metaverse adjacent. <laughs> metaverse and nfts was the shit they were talking about getting more into this is that kind of shit like i i don't know i it'd be very exciting if you could tell me like you you will get that actual fight experience um but you know not get beer spilled on your shoes by a just bleed bro uh, you're kind of offering me the best of all worlds and the next thing you know, we're living in that Bruce Willis movie where nobody leaves their house except for it cloaked in a virtual reality avatar. And the real question is, how much would you pay for it? Because as we uh, talked about last week on our special episode of Doing the Damn Thing, which, by the way, came out for free last Thursday. It's, uh, it's on your, your timelines right now. You can, go, you can go listen to it for free if you ain't got shit else to do. Uh, or wait, it was, was it the, you're the, thinking about the power, hour. the power hour. See, I That's get confused. Right. We do so many damn shows. We keep the we content did. doing flowing. the damn thing. We discussed the 1956 Humphrey Bogart film, the harder they fall. It was I the believe. power hour Friday's power hours out there for free. You can go get that where we talk about how the UFC just raised pay-per-view prices. Once again, as we head into the new year for the third year in a row, a $5 bump, it's going to put the just the standard UFC pay-per-view up at $75. Ben, folks, if they're telling you, you can watch this shit on VR, feel like you're in the front row of Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Ghosn later this month, how much would you pay for that? Well, um, I assume that it would be considerably more than the $75 would be the asking price. Yes, it would. So that that already, that that's a thought. I mean, if you end up paying... 150 bucks at that point you're like man this is what a ticket this is what a good ticket to a ufc event cost like you know seven eight years ago but i don't know i i mean first i guess i would have to have the oculus quest vr rig that josh from virginia references here and i wouldn't know really about how to go about that but if if virtual reality stuff really becomes that good and that widespread, you got to think everybody's going to get into it. And I would think the two industries that stand to benefit the most from it would be sports and porn and not necessarily in that order. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I actually listened to a, an interesting story about virtual reality and the news about how now see, this is an old guy shit. We don't know shit about it, but you're like, I listened to a story about it. 
it might even have been one of these new podcasts the kids have <laughs> uh, about they were about people basically using virtual reality to report the news. And this was around the time when they were having the uh, the uprising and all the student demonstrations and riots and stuff in Egypt. And they were talking about how they had been experimenting with news reportage via virtual reality, where basically if you wanted to, you could like hear a news report about uh, these demonstrations in, in Egypt and you could experience them firsthand if you wanted to. Okay. That's, were, that's a little, a little too real, honestly. The, okay. Well, the hosts were talking about how the theory is that it's, it's good for empathy building that huh. like you either read a story in a magazine or you watch it on TV or, or listen to a podcast about something and you experience it in a certain way, but it doesn't necessarily like help you build empathy for the people who are experiencing it. But you do the virtual reality thing. And then all all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like things are really fucked up over in Egypt. And maybe all of a sudden you have a new appreciation and a new interest for what's going on over there. So like all that of is, that is pretty interesting. That is an interesting theory. The other uh, potential I could see is that it goes the opposite direction and we begin to think of each other as nothing more than avatars. Mm, that's possibly true. Wandering up to one another and inqu inquiring about the length of one another's dicks. The next question comes from Avatar <laughs> Billy, who writes, With the recent run of fights being announced for the next three pay-per-views, being the heavyweight, flyweight, middleweight, featherweight, and bantamweight belts, that's basically all the belts, uh, is this the best run of title fights ever on paper? A meaningful heavyweight fight, unnecessary but fun flyweights, the two best middleweights of their generation, two of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters ever in a trilogy, and Jan versus Sterling with all the storyline you could ask for. Have we had a better run of title fights on paper ever? Not a sign uh, of old light heavyweights, stagnant middleweights, or heavier weight uh, WMMA in sight, and every fight means something. Please discourse. Now, Ben, I don't know well, if, you, if you and I yeah. can sit here and... And pretend that like we know the run of every fight going back to the start of the of the sport. Like I don't I don't have that information in front of me, frankly. Well, Billy fucked it up for everybody, you guys. Thanks, thanks, Billy. You, you, <laughs> You're saying he's jinxed us here. Don't haven't we learned anything? God damn it, Billy. We you gonna come out here and be like, I can't believe it. We got such a great run of title fights coming up. I don't know when this question came in. He includes featherweight. He, he already cost us one, hmm. you know, yeah. like what the hell, man? What the hell? We don't know any better than this. The MMA gods can hear you. You're sitting here rubbing your hands together. I can't believe we got such a great <laughs> run of title fights coming up, man. This is going to be awesome. This is our year. Woo. You know what? It just fucking... Get your your Oculus Quest VR set out right now, and 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 try to try to talk yourself into having a good time when they replace it, when it's uh you know Cyril Gone versus like Tai Tuivasa for the interim heavyweight champion or something, and then we can all call up Billy and be like, "Thanks, Billy, you ruined it." Wow, really kind of going in on Billy here. What I hear you saying is, in the game of mixed martial arts, perhaps best practices is just to adhere to Omerta. Let me know when they are on their way to the cage. Ben Fultz. When they, are, when they are making the walk. He's enforcing the code of silence, ladies just, and gentlemen. We've been through this, man. We've been through it. A lot of times, We the best laid plans in MMA just don't work out that way. We've already lost one of the title fights that he mentions here. Uh, we we go out here thumping our chests about what a great run of title fights we got coming up. 
that's a good way to just decimate the schedule. I'm I not hear, doing it. I will I not he- engage in this. I hear where you're coming from. On the other hand, we still need people to send emails to the podcast. Okay. So uh, if you have questions or comments, don't be afraid. Send them in. You know, we don't we don't believe in jinxes over here. We're not superstitious. We're going to we'll have a reasonable and sober discussion about your thoughts. So, you know, bear that in mind. And now that it's now that it's jinxed, I'm just going to go ahead and say this does look like a super awesome run of title fights, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So awesome. I, you don't even want to say it out loud. No, I don't. I mean, also, though, um, I mean, there. I get we're talking about the title fights that we have scheduled, but then we go on and say not a sign of old light heavyweights. I mean, the light, the light heavyweight champion is not exactly I mean, I think he's saying, I think he's saying they're not booked in this in this run of title fights. Okay, but I mean, that's when we do get another light heavyweight title fight on the books, stands to reason. We'll be a little bit of, there'll be some some experience, let's say that, in the cage. I think you're misunderstanding the man's point, and frankly, I think you need to lay off Billy. <laughs> let's try this out. Maybe you won't, maybe you won't be so, uh, so cavalier when you find out that the next email this week came to us from David the Destroyer. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I, don't, I, I ain't got shit to say to David the Destroyer. <laughs> he writes, hey, guys, did you see Paul Felder kind of going off on Alexander Rakich this week on Twitter? Seems like the UFC commentator beefs are getting more and more common these days. On one hand, it's weird. But on the other hand, is this stuff just sort of what we sign up for when we take a bunch of active or recently active fighters and shoehorn them into commentary positions? Would the UFC be better off to just go with Rogan and maybe Laura Senko in that spot? Discuss. Did you see this? That, I did uh, see this. Alexander Rakich, he wasn't even talking to Felder. He was no. just like, he's like kinda, tweeted kinda at Bisping, right? tweeting him maybe. Maybe, but like he was just tweeting at Bisping. And what did he said? If it's you, Anik, and Cruz, then I'll listen. Otherwise, I'm going to mute it or something like that. And Paul Felder basically like stuck his head in a side window and replied <laughs> and, and was like, hey, man, you could just talk shit to me to my face or whatever. It was kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, and then it was like, you can say you don't like my calls and I could say I think some of your fights are, are boring or whatever. Um this one, Paul Felder needs to have a thicker skin if he's going to do that job. Because, uh, uh, I mean, a part of me wants to be like, welcome to a a role in the, at least the orbit of MMA media. Yeah. Where, you know, fighters are going to get mad at you, man. That's just going to be part of it. Especially if you're in that, ch- that position as like the color commentator, where it's your duty not only to, like, they'll get mad at play-by-play guys for just, they feel slanting it one way or talking about what their opponent is doing and not about what they're doing. So they're sure as hell going to get mad at color commentators because they're the ones who are going to be inevitably offering more opinions during the course of a fight. But if you're going to do that job and Paul Felder does it really well and probably has a long future in it, if he wants to stay in that, you got to let that stuff roll off your back, man, because there's going to be a lot of it and you can't get sucked into every single beef with one of these guys, especially when they're not even saying your name. Like they're not really going after you or anything. You got to just let it be like, Hey, some of them are going to be mad at you. Some of them aren't going to, you're just not going to be their favorite. That's going to be true with fighters. It's going to be true with fans watching this stuff. Let it be, man. You can't, you can't get drawn into these constantly. I mean, if you had to guess, it seems as though Paul Felder ha- already had reason to believe that Alexander Rakich perhaps yes. did not appreciate his commentary. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, this is a little bit of a weird reply. It seems like 
those two guys may have had words in the past or perhaps heard things through the grapevine that uh, that would lead Paul Felder to think that perhaps this was a subtweet of his particular work. Yeah, but just don't get into it, man. Let them have their opinions about your opinions. Go on, and if you're going to be the commentator, be the commentator. But you can't get into this these silly little Twitter beefs with these people all the time. You, you, you got to just let it go. All right, we're going to squeeze this one in real quick from Lance Perry, who wrote, Guys, what on earth is going on over on Kamaru Usman's Snapchat? Yeah. Uh, did you see this also? I looked had to look at the uh, Milan Ordonez story on Bloody Elbow to get the full picture here. Somebody posted on Kamaru Usman's Snapchat some comments either directed at a troll or someone who had been perhaps uh, commenting on his Snapchat, or maybe this was just a, a troll, a hacker who got into Kamara Usman's shit, but he, but whoever it was, they posted, whomever you are, Something they dropped a whomever is the first word here. Whoms among yeah. you. Whomever you are watching my story, please choke yourself. 2022 just started and your life is centered around others. Better yet, kill yourself. Have fun watching my life and not yours. That's in all caps. Yeah, that's he went all caps on that one. Now, interesting that like Milan Ordonez actually does a good job putting some uh, perspective, some context on here because uh, Kamaru Usman's Twitter account had sent some some what are described as foul loathsome messages to Conor McGregor back in 2020, uh, which which the Irish star didn't believe were from him. And then Usman himself later said his account had been compromised, but denied rumors that his manager Ali Abdelaziz was behind it. But then back in November, he tweeted at uh, Team Habib and Justin Gaethje, and it says there's a bunch of crying laughing emojis on here and it says y'all both my brothers so do like i did and get your passwords back lol and then it has like a photoshop of all the abdelaziz here standing in front of a a, a gizmo Plethora. that has like 50 phones on yeah it. um he he posted i saw that somebody posted this on twitter he posted a a follow-up message where he sought to explain himself but like basically saying he did post this stuff, so we don't have to speculate about that. Because he said something like, hey, let me, I was talking about like one particular troll or maybe one or two people who keep, who are always watching my stuff. He also said that it was four o'clock in the morning. Maybe he'd had a, had a couple soda pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is one or two people who keep watching his stories and always want to talk shit to him. And so that he was firing back at them and not necessarily saying to anybody watching my anybody paying attention to my social media the fact that you're doing that means you should kill yourself um but still not a great look especially when you're in the business of selling pay-per-views because by your same logic if you're going over here and being like wow you're 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 just watching my life instead of living yours how pathetic you should kill yourself then that's the, why would those same people be like, oh, Kamar Usman is fighting uh, one of these Saturday nights. Let me stay home and watch it. No, you just told them that is a terrible thing to do and it renders their life not worth living. They should get out and go do something rather than sit around and watch your fights. And then the next thing you know, you, you don't have a, a pro sports career if nobody's sitting home and paying to watch. So, uh, yeah, not that's not great. Not not the best use of logic on Kamaru Usman's part. Also, if you are having an issue with these specific trolls, and I get it, you could get frustrated with it, and people are constantly following you just so that they can talk shit to you over and over again. I could see how you know you'd you'd reach a boiling point with that. You might say some stuff that you didn't really mean. 
But man, the worst thing you can do is let the trolls know that you hear them and that you you are thinking about them and that you were affected by them in some way. It's like if you're the center fielder in a baseball game and people in the outfield stands are just talking shit to you and taunting, the worst thing you can do is turn around and look at them and acknowledge that you are even capable of hearing them because now it's going to go on the entire game. If you ignored it, then at a certain point, they would go, man, can he even hear us? And if not, don't we look like kind of idiots? Like I think about, I remember doing a story once about uh, fighters and their relationships to social media and people's talk, people being dicks to them on social media. And I remember Joseph Benavides, and this has guided my social media interactions for the most part ever since, where he was like, yeah, I used to like want to say some shit back. And then I used to think about blocking them. But either way, then they realized that I've heard them. And if I just like mute them and ignore them and never engage with them, at a certain point, they have to wonder, is this even happening? Am I, I'm, I'm speaking into the void. I'm talking to myself, really. Like, is it even real or is it just a figment of my imagination? Yeah. And that's, that's the point he wanted them to get to. He was like, that's, I feel like the worst thing I can do to you is make you feel like you don't even exist. Like you're, you're invisible to me. Um, because then maybe you'll second guess your your choices here. Yeah. And, and maybe once again, this is one of those situations where I read these uh, Snapchats from the UFC welterweight champion. And I think maybe it's good that the mainstream media is not paying that close of attention. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's actually sometimes works to our advantage. In any case, if y'all have questions, comments, or concerns you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us that does it for listener mail right now we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one Ben, as we said at the top of the show, Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater are about to square off in a featherweight main event down there at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. This, the main event of Saturday night's UFC Fight Night event and a fairly important 145-pound contender fight, especially if you are the 33-year-old Giga Chikadze, who is out here trying to remain undefeated in the UFC and pick up what I believe will be his eighth win in a row in the octagon, which would not be too shabby if that's what he is able to do. He comes in off back-to-back wins over Cub Swanson and Edson Barbosa, both of them stoppages, and now he takes on Calvin Cater, who frankly is a guy we have not seen since January of 2021 when he accepted a record-breaking amount of damage at the hands of Max Holloway. So you mentioned this earlier on, but I just wanted to ask you to begin the round. Like, what do you think it would take here for Chikadze, not only to kind of, uh, solidify himself as a top contender at this weight, but what is it going to take? What does he need to do to snatch that opportunity, the brass ring, as Vince McMahon might say, and position himself as a person who could, in fact, step in against Alexander Volkanovsky in the absence of Max Holloway at UFC 272? Well, I mean, because the turnaround is so tight, I would think that one of the things you would need to do just from a practical perspective is probably not go five rounds. Yeah. 
just because it that's going to be tough. If you uh, even if you were beating the other guy's ass the entire time, I remember a story you did, Chad, where you talked to a guy who about you talked to fighters about their recovery periods after fights, and one of the guys said that the one of the worst he ever had was a fight he won, but that was like a five round title fight, yeah. and how just his hands were so sore for for weeks afterwards that he couldn't even close them. Like a long fight does not lend itself to a quick turnaround here. Right. Especially if you're fighting a a guy who who fights like Calvin Cater, like he's going to, you're going to know he's there even if you beat him. Yeah. Um, Other than that, I would think that what you would really need is uh, a statement, you know, something where it's, it's not like a close decision. It's not a disputed finish. It's not like, you know, people are arguing about the stoppage afterwards. Just go in there and really put your stamp on kids. Let everybody know that, you know, you are much better. You put him away because Calvin Cater's kind of, he's a real dude, man. If you can go in there, if you could put Calvin Cater away, then that's, that's some for real shit. But I think you would also need a little bit of a sales pitch. You know, it it would help to go out there if you could get him out of there in one or two or even three rounds, something like that. That'd be great for you. But to put yourself forward in that conversation while everybody's paying attention, just to seize the moment on the mic afterwards. Don't don't wait for the post fight press conference. Don't do I'll do whatever the UFC wants me to do. Like get on there and call for that shit and say I want that title fight because you know one of the things about this community that becomes apparent in many ways is we got short memories. We remember best that which we saw last. And if we are sitting around with a spot to fill for the featherweight title, and we just saw you beat somebody's ass and jump up and down and say, me, 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 I should be next. Then people will go. Sure. Like we're excited about you. We, we just got hyped about it all over again. And that's how you could land yourself in a quick title fight. And especially yeah. like you mentioned the win streak, Man, you went eight in a row in a heavyweight, and you are a legend. <laughs> you, you know, like you are one of the greatest of all time. In these lighter weight classes, it's when we start to remember your name. Yeah. And so to be able to to seize the opportunity and get yourself into a title fight there would be a big deal. Yeah. And Chikadze is an interesting guy in this division. Came in, uh, obviously, with a very decorated kickboxing career. He had lost previously on the Dana White Contender Series back in 2018, took him until September of 2019 to make it to the UFC. And then it was a little bit of like, um, you know, getting his feet wet, evolutionary, trying to find his stride process through the first three or four fights. He had a couple of split decision wins, a couple of unanimous decision wins. And then in the last three fights uh, against Jamie Simmons and then those two against Cub Swanson and Edson Barboza, it has really felt like he has found his, his stride. He's got three stoppages. He's got three performance of the night bonuses in a row in those fights. So yeah, this is a guy that I feel like is one of those dudes where you're like, you feel like he has all the potential in the world, but you're still trying to figure out exactly how good he is. And if he can go out there and run through a guy like Calvin Cater, like that would go a long way to proving he is for real in this division among the elite. I still think he's ranked down around number eight or something like that in the featherweight division. So it would probably still take, uh, you know, something special to vault him over a lot of people in front of him, but it can be done. Crazier things have happened. And you're right that this is a, a, a sport that many times suffers from recency bias and obvious, uh, uh, oftentimes the thing that we have most recently seen is, uh, is the thing that we put the most weight behind. Well, yeah, and I mean, like you talked about, the, the the competition is so fierce in this division that it's also 
the difference between the very best and the next three, four guys is not huge. Like it's, it's, it can be razor thin at times. And so to be able to seize your moment and get an opportunity and go in there and make the best of it, maybe go in there and fight Alexander Volkanovsky when he doesn't have a ton of time to game plan for you. Uh, whereas since he's been the champ for a little while, everybody's been kind of looking at him. Maybe those are start, some of the things that start to add up in your favor a little bit. Plus, you just you never know when another chance is going to come. You know that that that's part is not guaranteed. Then again, you wouldn't want to get too busy thinking about that stuff too deeply just yet when you got Calvin Cater standing across from you because he's got he he is definitely going to come in here thinking that like. If he wants to remain a capital G guy in the division, he got to win this one. Yeah. And, you know, hey, he he knows that everybody saw that, that Holloway fight and was talking about the tremendous amount of damage he took. You want to come out after something like that and show people, like, that that did not do some permanent damage to you, that you are still the, 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 a dangerous guy and that uh, they can't just write you off after that. Yeah. And for Calvin Cater, you're right. Like this is a, a an interesting litmus test fight, I think, for both guys. Calvin Cater has fought nothing but names since he's been in the UFC. He had a long and very successful independent circuit career in the Northeast, fought in CES. His last several fights was just a very highly regarded uh, organization over there. And since he's been in the UFC, the wins are over Andre Feely, Shane Burgos, uh, Chris Fishgold, who is probably the the least well-known person that uh, Cater has fought, but then Ricardo Lamas, Jeremy Stevens, and Dan Ige. The losses are Hanato Moicano, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, and Max Holloway. So the dudes that he has lost to are very, very good. And yeah. so if you are Giga Chikadze, it could be meaningful for you to get a win over Cater here. And if you're Cater, you want to you wanna make sure that your name is still up near the top of that list. You want to be up near the Max Holloways on that list, not necessarily the Chris Fishgolds on that list. All due respect uh, to Mr. Fishgold. But you want to be, if you're a gatekeeper, you want to be a Derek Lewis-style gatekeeper where you are also a couple fights away from a potential title shot yourself. Yeah, well, and also, like, it's just an interesting style matchup in addition to the stakes because you got... Two guys who would seem to want to have this fight at different ranges. And it kind of is going to come down to who gets to have their way. Because, you know, Calvin Cater, he's really uh, trumpeted his boxing skills before. Other people have trumpeted them. That's sort of the range that he wants to be at. And Jikadze is more like, "Mm, if you would just stand back a couple steps so I can just kick you from a place where you can't reach me, Mm -hmm. uh, that'd be very preferable for me. Yep. If I was going to do an MMA fight, one of the questions I would have on my checklist to ask my coaches about my mm-hmm. opponent would be, does he have any MMA moves named after him? Yep. Is there a kick or a submission? Anything that's got this guy's name on it that I need to know about? And they would mm-hmm. be like, there actually is. Uh, the Giga kick is something you you might want to think about scouting for this one. Nope. You know what? Um, I'm going to take the next one. I'm busy. I'm busy yep. that night. I'm going to treat this one like a crowded elevator. I'll get the next one. Uh, we talked about this, obviously, in the uh, in the opening part of the show, but the two guys who seem to be most uh, closely circling this opportunity, Ed Volkanovsky, are the Korean Zombie and perhaps Henry Cejudo. We don't need to spend a ton of time talking about it, but I did just want to pose the question because it seems like he keeps asking. 
and nobody is answering. He's the kid in the back of the class trying to answer the question, waving his hand, and teacher Dana White is at the front of the class being like, anybody? Anybody? Well, Is it is it finally time to call on Triple C? That's my question. I mean, I would like it. I would enjoy it. If he's serious and he really does want to get back in there, then yeah, like he, as we mentioned before, honestly has a better claim than maybe anyone else in MMA history to being the greatest all-around combat sports athlete, right? Like, two belts in the UFC, Olympic gold medals, pretty goddamn good, man. And for... It's crazy that when other people have tried to walk away from the sport or the UFC, Dana White is out there whining and dying on this guy. He said, you know what, That's I think I'm going to retire. And they were like, all right, give us the belt now and we'll show you out. And we're already booking the next title fight before your the car door even slams. Yeah, to told take him the, you back to the, the showers were right there on the left. So Hudo <laughs> took a left, turned out to be the door to the parking lot, and was locked behind him. <laughs> yeah, and so now when he keeps teasing a comeback, and it's like, man, if if Khabib even said something like, I don't know. In response to a question of if he would consider a comeback, be headlines all over the place. People would be excited about it. Dana White would have a dinner reservation for him that evening to talk it over. And so Hudo is out of here with his damn photoshops, putting himself in the title picture. And and we're going like, oh, that's that's cute. That's fun. Any though, let's get serious though. Who, who are we really going to get for this? And I, like... I get excited about the idea of if, if Henry Cejudo really meant it and he were really serious and, and were physically capable, you know, had been in the gym and felt like he could be fight shape ready to go in that time period, then yeah, like I would like to see it. I think that that would be fun. And I'm a little bit surprised that I seem to be in the minority there. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are really that excited about the possibility. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we are in the minority. I saw a very scientific Twitter poll the other day asking fans who they wanted to see uh, sub in 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 this instance, and Henry Cejudo was the most popular choice. I voted for him. I know that much. Uh, Anyway, we will see how all that plays out. Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, and then we will move on uh, to round number two. What's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this this week, Ben? Well, Chad, let me just, let me read you a headline here. From uh, Zane Simon's story on Bloody yeah, Elbow. I bet, I bet it's going to be the same as my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Because I also have a Zane Simon story from Bloody Elbow up on my computer right now. Quote, no one knows where I'm at. Yeah. UFC's Cheyenne Vlismus. This is formerly Cheyenne Bays, right? That, yeah, in case yep. people are confused. In hiding, not sure of Octagon return. Now, this is from, I think, an interview she did with MMA Fighting. Uh, But here's the quote. Unfortunately, I would love to fight again soon, but because of reasons beyond belief, I cannot fight and I cannot make any more money until I finalize some things in my life. And I don't know when that will be. I'm trying to make that soon, but I don't have an answer. I'm hoping by summer. I'm praying by summer. That's what I'm going to shoot for. As far as 2022, you'll see me, but I have no answers. And honestly, it makes me want to cry how I have no answers for anything. No one knows where I'm at. And I'm actually keeping it that way. A lot of things happened before my fight and even after my fight. And I decided what's best is to just escape. I've been gone now for two weeks and I love it. I'm overseas and just living my life. Fuck. What? what, what, Fuck. Kidding me? Yeah. 
Yeah. This, this, is a, is this, uh, this feels like it's supposed to be an update to tell me what's going on with Cheyenne Blismus. And instead, I feel like I've got more questions than answers. Yeah. And like the last quote in here is almost the weirdest one because she says, it was up to me. I would love to fight. I was actually not even supposed to take my last fight. I was asked by some high up people. They told me, please do not take this fight. Even my family didn't want me to take one for being sick. And two, for other reasons I can't speak about. No one wanted me to fight at all. So the fact that I got to finish 2021 with a fight and winning and proving people uh, that just a little more like I did it more like myself. It was a good feeling. So like, that's weird. That part is weird that mm-hmm. high up people are asking her not to fight. Um, yeah. I, you don't want to make light of this situation because it seems like Cheyenne Flismus is going through some pretty serious stuff. And I know, you know, the implication here is that she just separated from her husband, obviously with the last name change and things like that. And so you wonder what's going on with that, with her being in hiding, et cetera, et cetera. But the, you're right that this is very strange to have like a story, a run of stories now across several different websites that are all just sort of like this well-known professional fighter is in hiding and we don't know why. That's, that's very weird. It's a very, it, to me, it's a very kind of sad, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And is doing interviews from in hiding and saying that she's in hiding and enjoying being in hiding. Uh, I'm going to say going to testify against the mob. That's got to be it, right? I mean, I hope. I hope it's something like that. Otherwise, I don't know. But this is just very strange. Very strange indeed. Although, honestly, um, this, especially this line, I've decided what's best is to just escape. I've been gone now for two weeks and I love it. Um, yeah, I, I, I would also like to do that. I've, I, you know what? I think she talked me into it, Chad. All right, I will if, go ahead and I'll finish out the show uh, just yeah. with a, you could put one of those Ferris Bueller's Day Off style dummies in your chair and I'll just go ahead and finish the show. Just a cardboard cutout of me sitting here and meanwhile, I'll be overseas and loving it. Like that sounds fucking awesome, honestly. I love that for you. I think you should yep. do it right now. Here I go. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, things are heating up over in the land of the big fellas. Business about to pick up. Now, obviously, as everybody knows, as we've had circled on the calendar for a good little while now, you got the heavyweight champion, Big Fran Ngannou, gonna settle things with former training partner and current interim champ, Cyril Gaon, later this month. So, that's a big one, not only for the heavyweight championship itself, but also potentially for the future of Francis Ngannou's tenure in the UFC, given his contractual situation. We also just heard we're going to go ahead and do that Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa fight. That's going to go down in Houston. Um, you know, you got the Biggie Boy versus Marcin Tybura. And you know what? Just if, if shit's not crazy enough, we can even look over there at Bellator and be like, oh, yeah, they have a heavyweight division, too. And you got Ryan Bader, who lost his light heavyweight title, still, though, the heavyweight champ, 
and uh, going to be like, all right, let's see. Let me go back over there and then fight one of these Bellator heavyweights and see if he's still the best guy in the division there. It just seems like interesting times as yeah. we as we begin 2022. And uh, somewhere in humming in the background of it all is the specter of John Jones, who would have us believe he is a heavyweight now. Yeah. Yeah, it does, in fact, feel like Bellator just remembered that they have a heavyweight division like obviously they've been doing heavyweight fights over there this whole time but ryan bader finds himself in a somewhat precarious position as the heavyweight champs let's talk about that in a minute i want to talk about the ufc uh briefly first because frankly you love to see it right heavyweight at times can feel like it has a glacial pace like you're just waiting and waiting for these fights to happen and there are injuries and delays and we've never really been able to have a dominant heavyweight champion to be a force at the top of the division and now, like, you have a, certainly a lot of intrigue with Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon, and frankly, another situation that could lead to yet another lengthy delay, but at least we will have some clarity, hopefully, after UFC 270 this, this month, and then we will know kind of where people stand, and maybe what Francis Ngannou's next move with is going to be will become clear uh, soon after that. And so it's nice to have, you know, even if you have that uncertainty around the title, it's nice to have these contender fights that are coming fast and furious. And obviously we talked about uh, Derek Lewis against Tai Tuivasa last week, which seems like a terrific fight that's going to be a slobber knocker that everyone wants to see. Uh, and like I said before, over on comainevent.com, if you got $20 you never want to see again, Tai Tuivasa is your guy at plus 2,500 to end 2022 with the title, take a flyer on that just for the potential earnings, if nothing else. Also, because then you could feel good about rooting for Tai Tuivasa all year. Uh, but that's that's going to be yeah. a hell of a fight. And then the biggie boys out here looking for answers against Marcin Tybura. And it just feels a little bit like the division is somewhat vibrant, which is not something you can always say about the UFC heavyweight division. So frankly, I will take it. I mean, it's not something you can always say about the MMA heavyweight division. True. Uh, also, just a point of clarity on that bet. That is who ends the year with the belt, right? Right. Yes. So. I mean, wouldn't it be a heartbreaker for you if Tai Tuivasa won and then lost the belt in the course of 2022? And isn't that something that is also equally easy to imagine? Yeah. If he wins, I'm calling in a bomb threat. I won't let the heavyweight title get defended until the end of the year if he's the champ. Yeah, I mean, especially I wonder how this affects the that that specter of John Jones, right? Because he seemed moved up in weight thinking, all right, me versus Francis Ngannou, that's a huge fight. I'll have negotiating leverage with the UFC because everybody is going to want to see that fight get made. And this is how I ask for more money than is on my contract and finally make that next level of, of payday for a UFC fight, which he had said, like he, like he seemed to feel that he had reached a point where he could not break beyond a certain financial threshold. And he thought that this was going to do it. And he said that he had been led to believe by the UFC that this was the kind of fight that it would take to do it. And yet here he is saying, I'm a heavyweight now, then sort of hurting his own public perception once again by getting into trouble outside the cage. Uh, and now the UFC sitting here with a pretty fun heavyweight division and the kind where they could say, look, you know, maybe Francis Ngannou is going to think about walking after this fight, depending how it goes. Uh, maybe he won't. 
Maybe we'll be able to come to terms with him. Maybe we can just throw together a, a, a slobber knocker of a fight like Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa and say, doesn't this seem like some just fun, crazy violence? And the fans go, shit, yeah, it does. And we don't need any of you. Yeah. Like, it makes me wonder, how does that affect where John Jones might potentially fit in this picture? Does does maybe the idea of like a, a non-title fight where John Jones versus Stipe or something like that, which we had talked about a while back, does that start to seem like a more realistic possibility just, just to get something on the books for both those guys? Yeah, it's interesting uh, because like you said, John Jones seemed like he had moved up to heavyweight as a cash grab. Like he was going to It's fight, a cash uh, grab. He was going to fight Francis Ngannou and like make a bunch of money. And the UFC was like, not so fast. We actually are sticking to a tight budget right now. And so they said <laughs> no. And so a heavyweight division in the absence of Francis Ngannou was, is an interesting place for John Jones because you're not going to probably get that kind of money to fight for the title. And frankly, maybe the biggest matchup you could make would be against Stipe Miocic, which would either be a non-title fight or for the vacant title or depending on how things shake out. So if you're John Jones, I guess the question you would have, and it would be interesting to see how he plays it, if he indeed does end up fighting in this division at all. But like, uh, would you fight for the title for maybe less money up front as a way of sort of betting on yourself to say that once I am the champion, then I will get a cut of the pay-per-view dollars and the entire division will be at my beck and call and everyone will bend the knee to John Jones or you take the short-term money maybe with a bigger matchup against somebody like Stipe Miocic. And I don't know which way the wind would blow on that and that'll be interesting to find out if indeed that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, I could just see how somebody like Stipe and also somebody like John Jones would look around at the the action that's heating up in the heavyweight division and be like, "Mm, I don't really want to be left out. I don't want people to forget that I'm still here. You know, let let me get in there and fight somebody. And also though, when you say, hey, what do you think? Let me be, get the belt, and then I'll be in a stronger negotiating position. I mean, John Jones already been through that, right? Like, that's how we got here, was that he had the belt at light heavyweight and didn't feel like he was getting what he wanted. So, felt like, uh, let me go do something bigger and put myself in a better negotiating position. Still wasn't getting where he wanted to get. So, I don't know. I mean... The fact that Cyril Gaon is an interim champion tells you that just having the belt doesn't necessarily mean that you're in any stronger position because the UFC will just grab another one out of the closet. Yeah. That's exactly how we got here. You know, like that Francis Ngannou wasn't ready to fight in August. He wanted to fight in September and they went, no, fuck you. Interim belt. And, you know, now we're going to go ahead and do this and get a lot of champ versus champ rhetoric, even though it's eh, not really exactly that. But, uh... I mean, I think that you have so many of these big unknowns kind of hanging out there. A lot is going to depend, I think, a lot of the way this division shapes up and and how the the future in 2022 at heavyweight shapes up. It's going to depend what happens when Big Fran N meets Cyril Gaon. Because, again, I think Nganu should win that. I would pick him, but it's heavyweights. It's Cyril Gaon. he's, He's a good technical striker. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in heavyweights. And you laid out the best reason to think that maybe Francis Ngannou will lose is just because the MMA gods seem to curse a fella in this particular type of situation. Yeah, it's there's always some complications in this division. Uh, let's spend a t- couple minutes here talking about Ryan Bader, 38-year-old Ryan Bader, which frankly just makes me feel old to say it. Because yeah. I remember when Ryan Bader was a spring chicken who done came in the game. 
It's been over in Bellator now, Ben, since 2017. Obviously was the double champ there for a while, but has lost the light heavyweight title and got bounced from the light heavyweight Grand Prix uh, by Corey Anderson. So you got this situation where Ryan Bader is still the heavyweight champ, but he is one and two in his last three. Hasn't you know, won a heavyweight fight since he won the title from Fedor Emelianenko in 2019. And now he's going to fight Valentin Moldovsky at the end of the month. It just feels like uh, it's a very precarious, like I said before, if I can use that word again, place for Ryan Bader to be the champ, but to have a losing record in his last three fights and now be fighting a guy in Moldovsky who is uh, undefeated in Bellator trying to win the title and oh yeah isn't Fedor Emelianenko still talking crazy about how the guy he wants to end his career against is in fact Ryan Bader yeah now I don't I don't know if you recall but I vetoed that one I had to put my foot down we're not doing that we're not doing that yeah uh nope did you nope. did you did you call the office in San Jose and let him know that that was a no-go I put that the was word a no out. from you I put, I put out the vibe I feel like they know they know that we're moving on from that. I'm sorry, guys. We're just not going to, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. We're not doing it. End of conversation. Well, you know I'm what sure, I'm saying? I'm sure Scotty Coke's in the board uh, scratched that off the, the to-do list then after they heard just that you were against. Heaved a sigh, shook their heads and said, what can we do, guys? That's, that's that. Anyway, interesting times at heavyweight, man. I like to see it. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Sean O'Malley continues to make headlines with the things he says on his podcast, The Timbo Sugar Show, which I guess is the point of Sean O'Malley having a podcast. Yep. On the other hand, I don't know if the reasons that he keeps making news are all that positive for Sean O'Malley in and around the stuff he says on this podcast. Most recently, here's the the quote. I'm actually looking at uh, another Zane Simon story over at Bloody Elbow. It's Zane Simon week here on the yep. co-main event podcast. Zane-tastic. Sean O'Malley, this is talking on his uh, podcast. He's talking about the fighter revenue split and the fact that he says most fighters don't make any money for the UFC. He says, dude, like I don't even blame Dana White. It's like some of these fucking people have zero following. They're not making the UFC 100,000. They're not making the UFC 50,000. They're not making the UFC any money, really. But that's just from a business perspective, from Dana's business perspective, and I can see that. So that's an interesting take uh, from Sean O'Malley, who obviously is a guy who, by all guesses, I guess at this point, does make the UFC money, considers himself anyway to be a capital G guy. The UFC considers himself to be, considers him to be a capital G guy. But this kind of thinking seems somewhat antiquated, and I know that there are a couple of different ways to look at it, but as we've talked about on the podcast before, just if you consider the way the UFC makes its money now, which is most of its money comes from either pay-per-view buys through ESPN Plus and the licensing fee that it gets from ESPN Plus, or it comes from ESPN Plus just for providing this certain number of live events each year to 
ESPN Plus, which are mostly the Fight Night events. You know, you got a couple ESPN ones on there, like we talked about last week. We don't know if there will be ABC events this year, but there have been a couple ABC events in the past. But it's mostly the Fight Night events. And in the hashtag Just Some Fights era, those fight cards are generally pretty interchangeable. You might have like a, a recognizable couple of names at the top of the card, like Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater. But for the most part, it feels like you're doing kind of a grab bag, just some sort of hashtag, just some fights here that we're throwing out on Saturday nights as part of our fight night events. And as we have said before, by all rights, that should, and I'm going to stress that word, should make all of the fighters on those fight cards more valuable because that's, they're providing the content that the UFC is using to make its money. Now the UFC obviously takes the exact opposite approach and says all fighters are the same now. And so uh, nobody is getting paid that much. But really when, like when you look at these Sean O'Malley con- uh, comments, it feels like he's still, and maybe most fighters are still operating under this assumption that like, Hey man, the only way you can be valuable in this sport is if you sell a ton of pay-per-views and anymore. I just don't even know if that's true. Yeah, it does seem like a way of thinking about the UFC that is that applies to a different version, a previous version of the UFC's business model. And you're right that for the UFC, it seems like the great position to be in because you can at once claim, you know, any one fighter wants more money. Hey, look, no one fighter means everything to us anymore. Especially, hey, if we might be willing to let somebody like Francis Ngannou walk, with what could the rest of you hope to change our minds on when it comes to negotiating your value? You know, we we are selling this product that is the UFC. The product requires some fighters, but we can get them kind of anywhere. At least that seems to be the thinking. We'll, we'll get them from the Contender Series. We can get them from the Ultimate Fighter. We, get, we can create them out of thin air. Basically, you just give us a warm body and we'll do it. And yet also, the thing that is the power is that collectively, the UFC needs that needs a whole lot of people on the roster in order to fill that schedule, in order to provide that just waterfall of nonstop content that is their value to ESPN. And so, I guess you could say like, hey, no one fighter is making the UFC money in the sense that no one fighter is irreplaceable. And that is sort of like the UFC got to that point on purpose, it seems, and is enjoying that. And yet, at the same time, if they were to band together collectively, they could make the case, you need this mass of people because you can't you, you can't start over with all of us. Like you, you can't just say like, you know, if... You look, if you lost a hundred guys who, who wouldn't work for you anymore or who, who aren't answering the phone and aren't, aren't helping you fill this schedule, then you're in some deep shit. Then you can't fill the, that calendar. So he, he, he's right, but he also isn't right because he, it just seems like he's thinking about it the wrong way. Like if, if Sean O'Malley came to the UFC and be like, hey, look at all this stuff that I've done to make people care about me and like some like personal branding stuff. And granted, it's working because when Sean O'Malley walks out in arena, the crowd pops for him. People know who he is. People care about him. Sean O'Malley's name being on a fight card gets more people to pay attention. But the UFC would still say, hey, man, if we lost Sean O'Malley, first of all, where are you going to go? Bellator? Fine. Go ahead. But also, we're making so much contracted money, we can just we can plug that gap, and it's no problem. The only power that they have 
really is collectively. And that's one that they just, they have never been able to get together and exercise. And in many ways, it feels like a lot of people are still playing by the old rules, right? Like every time we talk about Dana White having to answer questions in front of the media, it sounds like he's still using the Dana White playbook from a decade ago, trying to pretend like we don't know the numbers of the UFC's revenue and, and, uh, you know, uh, split with the fighters and, and profit margins and all that stuff. And it just sounds like many of these fighters are still operating under the opinion that, that like the old economics are still the economics, which I don't necessarily know if, if that's the case, but this is also, and Hey, like you said, it's working for Sean O'Malley because we're talking about him right now. Yeah. If this was somebody else who said this, maybe we wouldn't be talking about him. Uh, but this is also another indication of, as you said, why they can't get together and do something about it because you would need all of the fighters or or a majority of the fighters to to basically say hey man we're not going to show up you're not going to make your uh you're not going to make your slated events for ESPN you're going to lose all this money unless we get a like a slightly larger cut of the profits you would need so many guys to do that it feels like they would have a very easy time finding people who would break ranks and some of that is because a lot of people are out here thinking about it like Sean O'Malley. Like maybe they're not thinking about it exactly the same way, but he's he's basically saying, I'm not like these other stiffs. I'm yeah. special. And so like, why would I throw my lot in with all the, the rest of these schmoes who don't bring anything to the table? And like that is honestly one of the biggest impediments among many sizable impediments to any either collective action or, uh, you know, fighters being even able to speak with one voice is that, you, you, it's uh, there seems like there's just too much dissent and too much division in the ranks. Yeah. Uh, and yet, you know, I remember listening to a pro wrestling podcast, honestly, where one of the a guy who had been a pro wrestling promoter was talking about how he had talked to Vince McMahon years ago and, uh, how they were talking about sort of their visions for what they wanted their own wrestling promotions to be. And this was, you know, years, decades ago. And he said that Vince McMahon told him that what I would like to have is a roster of completely interchangeable talent. That I, I don't I don't need a Hulk Hogan. I'm not looking for a big star to rise out of nowhere because then you got to deal with that. And what I would rather have is basically content. Guys who are replaceable, people like them, but they don't like them so much they're willing to follow them somewhere else. Uh, where the power is the brand and that no one person is vital. That the brand is the entire thing. And that's what the UFC has got, honestly. And, like, I think for fighters to kind of come to an honest awareness of where they are and where they fit in, they got to understand that part first. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and do just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, I'm just saying everything I'm about to say should sound eerily familiar to you. Okay. This should ring a bell. This should remind you of something. Antonio Rogerio Nogueira will make his return to the boxing world opposite fellow UFC veteran Leonardo Guimarães in a 220-pound match in the co-main event of Fight Music Show, which goes down in Brazil on January 30th. The event will be headlined by a 165-pound boxing clash between former WBO and WBA champion Acelino Frites and Brazilian YouTube sensation Winderson Nunes. 
The card also features Olympic silver medalist Esquiva Falco fakes facing ex-Big Brother Brazil star Yuri Fernandez in an exhibition bout. That ring any bells? Does that sound familiar to you at all? Is this just uh, the thrillers of the Southern Hemisphere? Is that what you just described? You, you can't you can't get away from it. Apparently, it's it's spreading like a damn virus. I'm first of all, don't. It, this is not the time to be saying that stuff is spreading like a damn virus. But also, hey man, if it works, you know. And I I like how we're just we're calling it what it is. It's the fight music show. You know, I'm into that. Let's do like what is it? You don't have to explain anything to me. Tell me it's the fight music show. Okay. I feel like I got a pretty good idea of what we're going to be doing. Is yeah. there going to be some reality stars there? Oh, there are? Okay, good. Yeah. You got uh, a- Antonio Rogerio Noguera. You got a YouTube sensation. You, you got, got the 165 star. from what I heard. Yeah. You got a star of Big Brother Brazil. <sighs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What are you just saying? I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. All right. Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying... I I'm reading on this on MMA Junkie an interview I think that Farah Hanan did with uh, Bobby Knuckles, our guy Robert Whitaker, talking about his last fight and his upcoming rematch with Israel Adesanya. So quote: I think Adesanya even mentioned it that my ego was something that affected me. As much as I don't want to acknowledge my opponent for insight, my ego probably was a big thing. Was a big part of why my headspace wasn't where it should have been for that fight. Why I was letting the debate between Australia and New Zealand get to me. Why I was letting all these little things get to me. It showed. The results of that showed in the way I was behaving, in the way I put the fight together, in the way I was fighting in the moment. Uh, And then also later notes uh, that one of his biggest mistakes was, quote, getting hit in the face. Um, quote, but probably my recklessness. I was recklessly charging in. I was falling into every one of his baits, every one of his traps, and just stubbornly trying to press forward, trying to press the attack and rip his head off. That's what was going through my head, and it didn't work. It didn't work. That's not how I usually fight. You don't see me fight like that in a lot of my other fights forever. I've addressed it, I've reflected on it, and we're going to try to get in there and do something different this next time. I'm just saying, not only does Robert Whitaker just seem like an all-around awesome dude, an all-around good dude, but also like a smart dude. And damn it, if he didn't kind of talk me into thinking maybe this time will be different, which is tough to get me to believe because I think if we we were talking about before, hey, as much as we acknowledge that nobody deserves the title fight more than Bobby Knuckles at this point, uh, he's made his strong case. Let's get in there. Let's do it again, brother. It was hard to get yourself to a position of thinking that he would be able to do anything more or different to Israel Adesanya after we saw how that first fight went. Damn it. He kind of just talked me into it. Yeah. Maybe we're going to get in there and do something different this time, Chad. Yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying. I mean, it'd be fun if it was different, right? Don't you get the impression that if Israel Adesanya beats Robert Whitaker again, we're all going to be kind of hanging around being like, okay, now what? Yeah. So might be interesting, might be fun. In any case, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to listen. Remember, check us out over on Patreon, patreon.com slash co-main event. We are over there all week doing that sweet, sweet content. Come party with us. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. I guess it is, I mean, if you have to go in there and rematch a guy who knocked you out the first time, the thing you, you I guess you can't say is I'm going to do that. 
exact same thing, but I mean, you could. You could be like, I just got caught, and uh, I'm still me. Still, I'm still big Rob. He's not saying more of the same. He's he's getting on that major cult and thinking about setting up Amsterdam, kind of thinking like, hey, we got to do something radically different. Yeah, I like it. It's easy to buy into. It's easy to, it's easy to appreciate. Robert Ritter, the guy's been easy to appreciate for a while now. I think we appreciate it.